So, uh, today we are going to continue our series um, uh, looking at the life of Abraham, which we are calling the difficult journey of faith, because Abraham's life does a great job at teaching us what it looks like to live by faith, so that we may be people who live by faith, because as it reads in Hebrew, that we only can please God when we live by, anybody? That's right. Now, I thought this week, because it was such a fun week, we would have a great and uplifting and exciting and encouraging message. So we are going to be turning to Genesis 19, and we're going to be talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. Nothing brings joy like Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, last week, the last time I was with you, we were in Genesis 18. We saw the Lord. We saw angels come visit Abraham and Sarah uh, and tell them, hey, Sarah, in a year, you're going to have a child. Uh, and so it was a, a real blessing of a message to Sarah because she was barren at the time. But they also had a second reason for coming, and that was to bring judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read all through 38 verses of Genesis 19, if my breath will hold out. I'll explain things a little bit on the way, and then we'll see what the Lord has to say to us today. Genesis chapter 19, verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening. And Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet that then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. So Lot invites these men that show up to stay with him. And this was a big thing in the Middle East in that time, and it still is today, where you would offer, it was a privilege and an honor to offer hospitality to guests and strangers, which is much different than us in a Western culture that when you like someone shows up at your door unannounced, you know, you, everybody drops to the ground, you shut the lights off, shh, everybody be quiet. At least that's what I do. Uh, not anymore. Some of you probably have come to my house and you're like, why doesn't he answer? Um, they are big into hospitality. They would give everything. I remember this when I was in Kenya and I would visit these people who are much more poor than me and they would get out their best food, their best everything. They didn't know me. I was just a guest. And so this is what Lot does to them. He invites them. Uh, now in verse three, after they said, no, we're going to stay in the, the courtyard, he says, it says that but he, speaking of Lot, pressed them strongly so that they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Now the Hebrew word for know translates to have sex with, Okay. It's, it's similar to uh, our phrase, to sleep with. Genesis 4.1, you read, it says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. This is why Lot did not want them to sleep in the courtyard. He knew what kind of people he lived with. Now listen, as a reminder, the Bible is not just God's commands and encouragements. It is also a history book teaching us about the depravity of man. And so sometimes you are going to read some really disturbing things. And we haven't even got close to the most disturbing part of Genesis 19. It is a reminder of the depravity of man and our need for a savior. Moving on into verse six. It says, Lot went out to the men at the entrance and he shut the door after them and he said, I beg you brothers, do not act so wickedly. 
Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Yes, you read that right. Lot's logical response to protecting these visitors and to appease this crowd was to offer his daughters. And yet, we are still not to the most disturbing part of Genesis 19. Verse 9, but they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow, speaking to, to Lot, came to sojourn to stay with us. And he has become the judge now. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break down the door. But the men reached out, the two angels, and brought Lot into the house with them, and they shut the door. They struck them with blindness, the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters, get up, up, get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law just to be jesting, to be joking. Verse 15, as morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, 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 take your wife and your daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand. And the Lord being merciful to him, they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life, and don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to him, Oh, no, no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. You have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But, but I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtakes me and I die. Behold, the city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? I don't know why that mattered, but apparently it did. And my life will be saved. Verse 21, and he said to him, speaking of the angel, behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoah. All right, the warnings come. Now we move to verse 23, where we see the promised destruction. Now the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoah, and then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what was, grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning, Lot's uncle, to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Remember, we talked a couple weeks ago how he pleaded for the Lord to save the righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah. In verse 28, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the valley, and he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered, remember this is going to be important later, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now we get to the final section, 
And what I find is the most disturbing part. We're going to jump a few either weeks or months into the future where we find Lot living alone with his two daughters. Verse 30, now Lot went up out of Zoah and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoah. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come in to us after the manner of all the earth. In other words, they thought everybody was dead. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she got up. Verse 34, the next day the firstborn said to the younger, behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. And then you go in and lie with him that we may preserve our offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. And today he's the father of the Moabites. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. And he is the father of the Ammonites to this day. This is the word of the Lord. Reads like a good reality TV show, doesn't it? This is why old people tell me, I want to start reading the Bible. Where should I start? I said, I I know in your Western culture mindset, you always want to start at the very first chapter because that's how we work. I said, let's start in the Gospels. Get a foundation there, then go to the Old Testament. Now, I've heard my fair share of sermons on Sodom and Gomorrah. If you've been in the church any time, I'm sure you have as well. And what I often hear in these sermons is there is a comparison between Sodom and Gomorrah and there's a comparison with America. In fact, I remember this one quote that said, if, if God does not judge America, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Personally, I am hesitant to ever deliver those kind of messages because I don't think that we should be making definitive statements where the Bible does not make definitive statements. Now, maybe God will one day bring a spectacular judgment on America because the sexual depravity, uh, the depravity just in general of our country, uh, I would say in some areas is right up there with what we we read in Sodom and Gomorrah. But maybe he doesn't. In the end, it doesn't matter because as we read in Scripture, every single one of us, when you breathe your last breath, you will face judgment before God. So I think it does a disservice when we try to take Sodom and Gomorrah and then compare it to America or any other country as if we know that God has acted this way in the past, so he's going to do it again in the future. I think the real value of studying Sodom and Gomorrah is two, one, talking about the judgment of God, how God has grace and mercy in this world, but there are times where he finally says enough is enough. We spent lots of time talking about that in Revelation. I think the other value that we can find is studying how Lot reacts and is affected by God's judgment. I say this because what happened to Lot can happen to you and it can happen to me. This sermon and my whole purpose in preaching it is to serve as a warning to you. 
to preach it as a warning to me about what we can lose if we do not choose to live differently than Lot. What is it that Lot lost? Lot, Lot, tongue twister. He lost his home. He lost all of his possessions. He lost his wife. His daughters lost their future husbands. And before all of this even happened, it looked like he lost his mind. I mean, go back before the destruction came, when the outside men in the town wanted to rape these two angels. In all of his righteous logic and reason, he was like, his best answer was like, hey guys, here are my daughters instead. I'm like, what the? There were other words I wanted to say after that, but my wife said they're not appropriate in a sermon. I'm like, what is, I cannot figure this one out. Like, what am I missing from the story here in verse eight that this proposal would make sense to him? I understand this was thousands of years ago in a completely different culture and time, but I still, I cannot, like, did Lot sense that these two men were angels of God? And you figure, well, the lesser of two evils is offer up my daughters? I mean, was this just a snap response in his panic? Like, as a dad, I'm like reading this, and I'm like, there's got to be something else missing that's not in the text that would lead a father to feel like this was a reasonable response. Like, man. We think some of us have dad issues. Imagine these two girls. I think, and, and speaking of his daughters, another thing that I think he lost, and this is the one that, the one that really hit me the most, is he lost an opportunity to show his daughters, and parents, this should ring for you, what faith looks, what it looks like to have faith in God. I mean, when danger comes, what does he teach his daughters? Take matters into your own hands. I mean, and, and look at the outcome, the last eight verses. It's no surprise that when they end up with a cave and their father, thinking there are no more men for them to marry, and they have this fear of not having children, they don't stop and pray and seek and trust God. They say, okay, let's make a decision. They saw what their father did. They learned from him. You all know your children, for good or not so good, usually not so good, for worse, they will mimic how you live and what you do. And so I see a mimicking here. They're like, let's get our dad drunk and sleep with him. Now listen, not to justify this in any way, but for those of you who are not in the Bible, you have to remember that the gene pool was much more pure back then. So all the worries that you have of, of deformities and stuff, they didn't have those back then. does not make it any better, but just a point of interest. And so this was their answer. No pausing to pray, not trusting God, take everything in their own hands. So he lost all of these things. He put his daughters in a horrible situation. And then it goes worse from there because these two nations, the Ammonites and the Moabites, that come out of this, they end up being enemies of the Israelites, his uncle's offspring. So Lot suffered an amazing amount of hurt and loss, and he caused a ton of problems for those around him. Now, after reading all of this, you would think, man, this is a classic case of God's judgment on Lot. But that's the thing. Lot didn't suffer all of this because God was judging him. He suffered all of this, hear this, because he was in close proximity to the ones who were being judged. 
He suffered all of this because of those he had surrounded himself with. And this is a warning to all of us today. Be careful where you put yourself. Be careful where you put yourself. Because wherever you place yourself, in big situations and small ones, it is going to have an effect on you, just like it affected Lot. It just may look different. Let me explain what I mean. You might be surprised to know this, but the apostle Peter actually refers to Lot as a good guy. He refers to him as a righteous guy. 2 Peter 2, 7 and 8. And if he, speaking of God, rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw unhurt. When I read this, I'm like, how could Peter refer to Lot as righteous, the same guy who offered up his daughters to a sexually depraved horde that wanted to rape two angels? I think the answer is pretty simple. To use a child's analogy, he got muddy. Lot got muddy in his life. He got muddy. For example, if you take a child, and not that any parent would do this, but just follow me anyway, and if you were to put white, brand new gloves on a child and send them out to play in the mud, what is going to happen? He's going to return with muddy gloves. The mud always affects the gloves. It is not the other way around, right? You've never seen mud get glovey. <laughs> no one's ever said, oh, that's glovey mud, right? The mud gets on the gloves. Like a peeling player of gloves, I think Lot's convictions became soiled by the immorality that he tolerated around him. And think about what's true. When you get dirty, your hands get dirty, you're like, oh, they're dirty, and you don't mind them getting dirtier as much as you did when they were clean. And so it got worse and worse and worse. And the same is true for us, that wherever we decide to put ourselves, it's going to affect us. The high school students, I used to be a high school student, you all were or will be when you got into school. The type of friends that you surrounded yourself in affected you, affected how you think, how you talked, and how you acted. Even as adults, the type of friends that you put yourself with, it affects you. The type of people that you date, the neighbors that you hang out with, even in churches, the type of people that you hang out with matters because not everybody in church is living a godly way. I remember one woman who found Christ. She got into a nice large church. The group she fell into was a bunch of gossiping, gossiping old hags. That's what I call them. I knew the church, and they undermined and undergirded the entire church with their gossip and their slander, and this woman got caught up in it. When you're at work, the people that you work with and spend time and pour your life into, it affects you. Even nowadays, with social media and the different people that you follow and you watch and you chat with, it affects you, even if you're not as wicked or sinful or evil as those around you. Scripture never says that Lot took part in the depravity of Sodom and Gomorrah. Peter says it actually grieved him, but he seemed to still tolerate it. He was okay and willing to be around it. 
Like, I mean, looked at the crowd back in verse 9. The crowd were like surprised when he objected. They said, stand back. And then Lot said, and they, you know, Lot was, Lot said like, hey, don't do this. And they said, stand back. They said, this fellow came to sojourn, live with us, and now he's become a judge. Like, where did this guy come from? Somehow Lot had just seemed to settle on being less evil than those around him. I think this is how a righteous man or woman can get to the place where they would offer up their daughters. Because the more, like I said earlier, the more muddy you get, the easier it is for you just to keep getting dirtier. And the more that you allow yourself to be influenced by those around you, the easier it is to continue to be influenced by that and to think like that and to react in that way. I mean, for example, uh, I think most Christians would say, hey, we try not to curse and use foul language. But if you have uh, someone like me, where I grew up around my house, I grew up with my dad, and all his buddies would come over and listen, they made cursing an art form. Like, it was creative that the way they could use cursing. So for me, even though I don't want to curse, it is easy for me to curse. In fact, my biggest fear is to drop a curse word when I'm preaching. Praise God, it hasn't happened in 20 years. Right? Other people... They did not grow up around that, so they don't, like my wife, she didn't grow up around that. Like, there's words that I don't even think are curse words that were curse words in her house. And so she, like, her sweet lips never curse. Okay? We both don't think, we both realize cursing's not good, but it was what we were surrounded with. It makes an impact. And this should be a wake-up call to all of us. Because none of us in here are immune to putting ourselves in close proximity to things that would deteriorate our hearts and our minds. In fact, that is a question, if, if you really love and follow the Lord, there should be a hunger in you where you're saying, God, right now, if there's an area in my life where I'm surrounding myself with things that are going to deteriorate my heart and mind, that are going to get my faith muddy, I pray you'd show me. Show me where I'm putting myself in a bad spot. And we should be asking God to keep us, like, Lord, keep me from getting myself in a bad spot. Keep me from getting into, into areas of temptation because it's so easy for all of us to get sucked in. It's like summertime. You know, you go to the beach. They have those big signs, and I never saw them before until I moved out here because in Seattle you don't go to the beach because it's like freezing year-round. But here you go to the beach and there's these big signs, right? Be, be, be careful of rip, rip currents because they can't be seen, and they can pull you out. And sometimes you don't know that you're being pulled out until you're already been pulled out. And they warn you, because if you don't see it coming, it's too late. And in the same way in our lives, if we're not paying attention, having our eyes open, we can end up being in so deep that it's too late. Now, one of the reasons that we don't have seen it is because the things that we're drawn to the evil that we're drawn to, the wrong people that we're drawn to, the wrong situation that we're drawn to, we see some kind of immediate benefit for them. I mean, why did man, why did Lot, this man with all the past experiences he had, the beginning he had, how come he just didn't leave Sodom? Right? How come he didn't leave? Why? Because he had invested his whole life there. He had a home there. All of his things were there. He was making probably lots of profits because he was loaded, if you remember the story a lot. And it all started back in verse 13. Remember when him and his uncle Abraham, they had so much stuff, 
Like had so many sheep and animal and goats, and, and they were their, their sheep men and all their, uh, their shepherds were fighting, and, and, and Abraham said, Lot, hey, you pick where you want to go, and I'll go the other way. And then Lot saw the land outside of Sodom, and it was beautiful, right? There was green grass, there was trees, it was gorgeous. And so Lot's like, well, I'll, I'll go over there. In the same way, we see these shiny things that we think benefit us. You know, when you're in school, why do you go get around the bad crowd or a crowd that's not following Christ? Because you want to feel popular. You want to feel loved. You know, you get in a, a job that is not good for you in your walk with Christ. Why? Because you want the money. Right? Or even when we get involved with friends as adults, even if they're not a great crowd, if we feel like we belong and, and we're, we're wanted, we want to be a part of that. How about being, when we get in romance with Christians, and this is a primarily this first part as a message for Christians, you know, the Bible talks about not being unequally yoked, that a Christian should never marry a non-Christian, should never date a non-Christian. Why do we do it anyway? Because we love to be loved and to be cherished. There's all these benefits that we see, and it drags us in. I remember a friend in a previous church, he had a problem with alcohol. So he would go to the bar, even though he knew he had a problem with alcohol. Why? Because he loved being with the other guys there, the benefit. And if we're not paying attention, these things will suck us in, whatever. And we all have things. I've only listed a few, but we all have things we're tempted in. Why do you have some spouses who will flirt with someone other than their spouse? Because they like the attention. They like feeling special. It draws them in. And I'm praying whatever that is for you that would draw you in, you would see it. Like right now, you would know it. You feel the Lord, the Holy Spirit convicting you of that. Now, when we go to the ocean, usually this is young teenage boys because we're young teenage boys, so we're young and stupid. We like to do things that are dangerous. We'll see signs that say, hey, avoid rip currents, and, and you know, boys will still jump out there. And why, why would that be the case? Because they're not taking the caution or the signs seriously. And I would say that's the same thing for all of us. Anytime we're drawn into situations and we're drawn around people that will deteriorate our hearts and our minds, that will cause us trouble in the long run, it's because we're not taking God seriously enough. We're not taking his word seriously enough. I mean, why did Lot's wife die? Because she did not take the instruction to not turn around seriously enough. Now, we don't fully understand what all this means when it says she became a pillar of salt. I don't think it's like Lot turned around and saw his wife in a salt shaker all of a sudden, right? Let's take some of that home and put it on our meat at least, right? She probably looked like salt because she probably got burned up by something, whether it was a, 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 a supernatural act or if she just turned back and she lingered so long that she got caught up in whatever was causing Sodom and Gomorrah to burn. Whatever it was, it came from the simple fact that she did not take the angel's instruction serious enough. And all throughout the Bible, there are warnings over and over and over again. Like I'm preaching to you today, the problem is we do not take them seriously enough. 
Anytime you read the Bible and it says, do this or don't do this, if you don't follow through on that, it's because you do not take God seriously enough. That's what it comes down to. When we don't even bother to read our Bible, it's because we don't take God seriously enough. Now, even this week, I was, I was hitting these verses and I was reading a passage somebody posted online and they, said, and they talked about where, where Jesus said at the end of times, there's gonna be people that come up to him and say, hey, I did this for you and I, I perform works in your names and he's gonna go say, hey, you know what? I never knew you, depart from me. And the warning being there that doing things for God is not what saves you, it is a relationship with God, right? And when I first read it, I just read over it like I was reading the newspaper, but then I went back and I was listening to the warning that was there and as I stopped and I paused and said, God, I wanna make sure I know you. Don't let me be about doing things for you. We must take God's word seriously enough. And so my prayer for you this morning, prayer for myself, is that you're gonna start paying attention where you're allowing yourself to get mud on you, where you're starting to get sucked in. What relationships are you in the middle of that is affecting who you are? That when judgment comes for them, it will come for you. What sin are you putting yourself in the middle? What situations? Even in family lives, let's go back to the family aspect. What are you tolerating in your family, especially if you have kids? What shows are you tolerating? What movies are you tolerating? Literally, you cannot, I, like, I think the PG rating system, all that's changed because I see things in PG movies I never saw when I was growing up. At least I don't remember. There's sex in every TV show and every movie now, it seems like. And we just watch them without thinking twice about what they're doing to our hearts and to our minds. Our kids see what we tolerate. If you're a Christian and you, you profess Christ to everybody else, everybody else watches what you tolerate. I know one kid whose parents, when they're driving them around, they have music that's dropping F-bombs left and right. Now, they're not a Christian, not yet, as I'm praying. But man, what's that tell to that kid? when they listen to the words that parent uses and how they speak and approach things, what are they speaking to that kid? And parents, we gotta pay attention to what your kids are bringing back from school. What phrases, what actions, what habits are they bringing back from school? Did, did Lot ever pay attention to his daughters and his sons-in-laws of what they were picking up and what they were being exposed to? Did that ever even worry him about what he was being, they were being exposed to by living in that town? If you sit here today and you're a Christian, that means Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You're not called just to tolerate sin, to be surrounded by it. You're called to be a light in the darkness. And that means as we read in scripture, you have to be in the world, but you can't be of it. You can't look like everybody else. You can't act like everybody else. My prayer today is as you pay attention, as the Lord brings up things in your life that you are 
tempted to be a part of and you're in, that you'll simply repent and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm into this. I'm sorry I let my life get into that. Lord, I repent. I'm packing up my bags and I'm leaving those situations. I, I remember in high school, I had to have that conversation. It took me four years to have it with some friends. I said, guys, I don't want to hang out on Friday nights anymore. And I had to have the guts to be able, and it took me way too long to do it, the guts to finally say it's because, listen, these things aren't good for my relationship with Jesus. They made fun of me. I lost some friends over it. And I wish I would have done it years sooner. But we have to be willing to say, no, I take God more seriously. The benefit of knowing him is greater than whatever's happening here. Jude talks about it, Sodom and Gomorrah, and he says, look, what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah is going to happen to the entire world. There will become a day where God is going to say, enough. And for those who do not call upon the name of the Lord, those who do not put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will perish just like those in Sodom and Gomorrah. The good news is, and the reason we can have hope, even as Christians, even if we're in those bad places like Lot, is that God sent Jesus. I mean, think about it. What did it say in the back, 26 and 27 of Abraham, I think? What did it say? It said Lot was saved because of Abraham. Remember when Abraham pleaded with God and he saved him? In the same way, we're saved because of Jesus. Jesus came to save the righteous. Now, we're not righteous, but he made us righteous through his death and his resurrection. His mercy is there for us. And the Holy Spirit today is calling out to you just like those angels to Lot, saying, pack your bags, get out of there. It is an act of mercy to warn us of our sin. But let us not be like Lot. Let us not hesitate. Let us not be like Lot's son-in-laws who thought he was joking. Let us hear the voice of the word of the Lord and respond. Amen, church.